Section twenty nine of the Shuans by Honore de Balzac, translated by Ellen Marriage. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Bruce Peary. Chapter three. N. It is necessary, if the close of the drama is to be clearly understood, to return and to enter Mademoiselle de Vernoy's house with her when the passions are excited to the highest pitch the intoxication that they produce is far more complete than anything affected by those paltry stimulants wine and opium the clearness of ideas to which we attain at such times the subtle keenness of our over-excited senses bring about the strangest and most unexpected results beneath the arbitrary sway of one sole thought certain temperaments can clearly perceive the least perceptible things while the most obvious matters are for them as though they had no existence mademoiselle de vernoy had fallen a victim to the kind of intoxication which makes our actual existence seem to be like the life of a somnambulist when she had read montauron's letter she had ordered all things in such a way that he could not escape her vengeance just as eagerly as she had but lately made every preparation for the first festival of her love but when she saw her house carefully surrounded by her own orders with a triple line of bayonets a sudden gleam of light shone through her soul she sat in judgment upon her conduct and thought with a kind of revulsion that she had just perpetrated a crime her first uneasy impulse led her to spring to the threshold of her door and to stay there motionless for a brief space trying to reflect but utterly unable to follow out a train of thought she was so little aware of what she had just done that she wondered why she was standing in the vestibule of her own house holding a strange child by the hand myriads of sparks like little tongues of flame swam in the air before her she took a step or two to shake off the dreadful numbness that had crept over her senses but nothing appeared to her in its true shape or with its real colors she was like one that slept she seized the little boy's hand with a roughness that was not usual to her and drew him along so hurriedly that she seemed to possess the activity of a madwoman she saw nothing whatever in the salon when she crossed it though three men greeted her and stood apart to allow her to pass here she is said one of them she is very beautiful the priest exclaimed yes replied the first speaker but how pale and troubled she is and how absent-minded said the third she does not see us at the door of her own room mademoiselle de vernoy saw francine who whispered to her with a sweet and happy face he is there marie mademoiselle de vernoy seemed to awake and to be able to think she looked down at the child whose hand she held recognized him and said to francine shut this little boy up somewhere and if you wish me to live 
be very careful not to let him escape. While she slowly uttered the words, she turned her eyes on the door of her room, on which they rested with such appalling fixity that it might have been thought that she saw her victim through the thickness of the panels. She softly pushed the door open, and closed it without turning herself, for she saw the Marquis standing before the hearth. He was handsomely but not too elaborately dressed and there was an air of festival about the young noble's attire that added to the radiance with which lovers are invested in women's eyes. At the sight of him, all Mademoiselle de Vernoy's presence of mind returned to her. The white enamel of her teeth showed between the tightly strained lines of her half-opened lips, which described a set smile that expressed dread rather than delight. With slow steps she went towards the young noble, and pointing to the clock, she spoke with hollow mirth. A man who is worthy of love is well worth the anxiety with which he is expected. But the violence of her feelings overcame her. She fell back upon the sofa that stood near the fire. Dear Marie, you are very charming when you are angry, said the Marquis, seating himself beside her, taking her passive hand, and entreating a glance which she would not give. I hope, he went on in a tender and soothing voice, that in another moment Marie will be very vexed with herself for having hidden her face from her fortunate husband. She turned sharply as the words fell on her ear, and gazed into his eyes. "'What does that terrible look mean?' he went on, smiling. "'But your hand is as hot as fire. My love, what is it?' "'My love!' she echoed, in a stifled, unnatural voice. "'Yes!' he said, falling on his knees before her, and taking both her hands, which he covered with kisses. Yes, my love, I am yours for life. Impetuously she pushed him from her, and rose to her feet. Her features were distorted. She laughed like a maniac, as she said, You do not mean one word of it. You are baser than the vilest criminal. She sprang quickly towards the dagger which lay beside a vase, and flashed it within a few inches of the astonished young man's breast. Bah! she said, flinging down the weapon. I have not enough esteem for you to kill you. Your blood is too vile even for the soldiers to shed. I see nothing but the executioner before you. The words came from her with difficulty, and were uttered in a low voice. She stamped her foot like a spoiled child in a passion. The Marquis went up to her, and tried to clasp her in his arms. "'Do not touch me!' she cried, drawing back in horror. "'She is mad,' said the Marquis, speaking aloud in his despair. "'Yes, I am mad.' she repeated, but not yet so mad as to be a toy for you. What would I not forgive to passionate love, but that you should think to possess me without any love for me? That you should write 
and say so to that to whom have i written he asked in amazement that was clearly unfeigned to that virtuous woman who wished to kill me the marquis turned pale at this and grasped the back of the armchair by which he was standing so tightly that he broke it as he cried if madame de gouas has been guilty of any foul play mademoiselle de vernoy looked round for the letter and could not find it again she called francine and the breton maid came where is the letter monsieur corentin took it away with him corentin ah i understand everything now that letter was his doing he has deceived me as he can deceive with diabolical ingenuity she went to the sofa and sank down upon it with a piercing wail and a flood of tears fell from her eyes doubt and certainty were equally horrible the marquis flung himself at his mistress's feet and clasped her to his breast saying over and over again for her the only words that he could pronounce why do you weep dear angel what is the trouble your scornful words are full of love do not weep i love you i love you for ever suddenly he felt that she clasped him to her with superhuman strength and in the midst of her sobs she said you love me still can you doubt it he answered and his tone was almost sad she withdrew herself suddenly from his arms and sprang back two paces as if in confusion and dread if i doubt it she cried she saw the marquis smiling at her with such gentle irony that the words died away on her lips she let him take her hand and lead her as far as the threshold marie saw at the end of the salon an altar that had been hastily erected during her absence the priest who had resumed his ecclesiastical garb was there and the light upon the ceiling from the shining altar candles was sweet as hope she recognized the two men who had before saluted her they were the comte de bauvin and the baron du guenic the two witnesses whom montauran had chosen will you still refuse the marquis asked her in a low voice but when she saw the scene before her she shrank back a step so as to reach her own room again and fell upon her knees before the marquis and raised her hands to him and cried oh forgive me forgive forgive her voice died in her throat her head fell back her eyes were closed and she lay as if dead in the arms of the marquis and of francine when she opened her eyes again she met the gaze of the young chief a look full of kindness and of love patience marie this is the last storm he said yes the last she echoed francine and the marquis looked at each other in surprise but she enjoined silence on them both by a gesture ask the priest to come 
she said, and leave me alone with him. They withdrew. Father, she said to the priest who suddenly appeared before her, when I was a child, an old man with white hair like you often used to tell me that if it is asked with a living faith, one can obtain anything of God. Is that true? It is true, the priest answered. All things are possible to him who has created all things. Mademoiselle de Vernoy threw herself on her knees with incredible fervor. Oh, God, she cried in her ecstasy, my faith in thee is as great as my love for him. Inspire me, work a miracle here, or take my life. Your prayer will be heard, said the priest. Mademoiselle de Vernoy came out to meet the eyes of those assembled, leaning upon the arm of the old white-haired priest. It was a profound emotion hidden in the depths of her heart that gave her to her lover's love. She was more beautiful now than on any bygone day, for such a serenity as painters love to give to martyrs' faces had set its seal upon her and lent grandeur to her face. She gave her hand to the Marquis, and together they went towards the altar where they knelt. This marriage, which was about to be solemnized two paces from the nuptial couch, the hastily erected altar, the crucifix, the vases, the chalice brought secretly by the priest, the fumes of incense floating beneath the cornices, which hitherto had only seen the steam of everyday meals, the priest who had simply slipped a stole over his cassock, the altar candles in a dwelling-room, all united to make a strange and touching scene which completes the picture of those days of sorrowful memory when civil discord had overthrown the most sacred institutions in those times religious ceremonies had all the charm of mysteries children were privately baptized in the rooms where their mothers still groaned as of old the Lord went in simplicity and poverty to console the dying. Young girls received the sacred wafer for the first time on the spot where they had been playing only the night before. The marriage of the Marquis and Mademoiselle de Vernoy was about to be solemnized, like so many other marriages, with an act forbidden by the new legislation. But all these marriages, celebrated for the most part beneath the oak trees, were afterwards scrupulously sanctioned by law. The priest who thus preserved the ancient usages to the last was one of those men who are faithful to their principles in the height of the storm. His voice, guiltless of the oath required by the Republic, only breathed words of peace through the tempest he did not stir up the fires of insurrection as the abbe goudin had been wont to do 
but he had devoted himself like many others to the dangerous task of fulfilling the duties of the priest towards such souls as remained faithful to the catholic church in order to carry out his perilous mission successfully he made use of all the pious artifices to which persecution compelled him to resort so that the marquis had only succeeded in finding him in one of those underground hiding-places which bear the name of the priest's hole even in our own day the sight of his pale worn face inspired such devout feelings and respect in others that it transformed the worldly aspect of the salon and made it seem like a holy place everything was in readiness for the act that should bring misfortune and joy in the deep silence before the ceremony began the priest asked for the name of the bride marie natalie daughter of mademoiselle blanche de casteran late abbess of notre dame de Sées, and of victor amedee duc de verneuil born at la chasterie near alençon i should have not thought that montaran would have been fool enough to marry her the baron whispered to the count the natural daughter of a duke out upon it if she had been a king's daughter he might have been excused the comte de bauvon said with a smile but i am not the one to blame him i have a liking for the other and i mean to lay siege to charette's filly now there's not much coup about her montaurin's designations having been previously filled in the lovers set their names to the document and the names of the witnesses followed the ceremony began and all the while no one but marie heard the sound of arms and the heavy even tread of the soldiers coming to relieve the blues who were doubtless on guard before saint leonard's church where she herself had posted them she shuddered and raised her eyes to the crucifix upon the altar she is a saint murmured francine give me saints of that sort and i will turn deucedly devout the count said to himself in a low voice when the priest put the usual question to mademoiselle de verneuil her answering yes came with a heavy sigh she leaned over and said in her husband's ear in a little while you will know why i break the vow that i made never to marry you the rite was over and those who had been present passed out into the room where dinner had been served when just as the guests were sitting down jeremiah came in in a state of great terror the unhappy bride rose at once and went up to him followed by francine then making one of the excuses that women can devise so readily she begged the marquis to do the honours of the feast by himself for a few moments and hurried the servant away before he could commit any blunder that might prove fatal oh francine she said what a thing it is to feel oneself at the brink of death and to be unable to say 
I am dying. Mademoiselle de Vernoy did not return. An excuse for her absence could be found in the ceremony that had just been concluded. When the meal came to an end, and the Marquis' anxiety had risen to its height, Marie came back in all the splendor of her bridal array. She looked calm and happy, while Francine, who had returned with her, bore traces of such profound terror on all her features that those assembled seemed to see in the faces of the two women some such strange picture as the eccentric brush of Salvatore Rosa might have painted, representing death and life holding each other by the hand. Gentlemen, she said, addressing the priest, the baron, and the count, you must be my guests to-night. Any attempt to leave Fougere would be too hazardous. I have given orders to this good girl here to conduct each of you to his own room. No resistance, I beg, as the priest was about to speak. I hope that you will not refuse to obey a bride on her wedding day. An hour later she was alone with her lover in the bridal chamber that she had made so fair. They stood at last beside the fatal couch where so many hopes are blighted as by the tomb, where the chances of an awakening to a happy life are so uncertain, where love dies or comes into being according to the power of the character that is only finally tested there. Marie looked at the clock and said to herself, Six hours to live. So I have been able to sleep, she exclaimed, when, as morning drew near, she woke with the shock of the sudden start that disturbs us when we have agreed with ourselves on the previous evening to wake at a certain hour. Yes, I have slept, she repeated, as she saw by the candlelight that the hand on the dial of the clock pointed to the hour of two. She turned and gazed at the Marquis, who was sleeping with one hand beneath his head, as children do, while the other hand grasped that of his wife. He was half smiling, as though he had fallen asleep in the midst of a kiss. Ah, she murmured to herself, he is slumbering like a child. But how could he feel mistrust of me, of me who owe him unspeakable happiness? She touched him gently. He awoke and smiled in earnest. He kissed the hand that he held and gazed at the unhappy woman before him with such glowing eyes that she could not endure the passionate light in them and slowly drooped her heavy eyelids as if to shut out a spectacle fraught with peril for her. But while she thus veiled the glowing warmth of her own eyes, she so provoked the desire to which she appeared to refuse herself, that if she had not had a profound dread to conceal, her husband might have reproached her with too much coquetry. They both raised their charming heads at the same moment, with a sign full of gratitude for the pleasures that they had experienced. But after a moment's survey of the exquisite picture presented by his wife's face, 
the marquis thinking that marie's brow was overshadowed by some feeling of melancholy said to her softly why that shade of sadness love poor alphonse whither do you think i have brought you she asked trembling to happiness nay to death quivering with horror she sprang out of bed followed by the astonished marquis his wife led him to the window a frenzied gesture escaped marie as she drew back the curtains and pointed to a score of soldiers in the square the fog had dispersed and the white moonlight fell on their uniforms and muskets on the imperturbable corentin who came and went like a jackal on the lookout for his prey and on the commandant who stood there motionless with folded arms with his head thrown back and his mouth pursed up in an alert and uneasy attitude let them be marie and come back why do you laugh alphonse it was i who posted them there you are dreaming nay for a moment they looked at each other and the marquis understood it all he clasped her in his arms what of that he said i love you for ever all is not lost even now cried marie alphonse she said after a pause there is yet hope just then they distinctly heard the stifled cry of a screech owl and francine suddenly entered from the dressing-room pierre is there she cried in almost frenzied joy the marquise and francine dressed monterand in a chouan's costume with the marvellous quickness that women alone possess when marie saw that her husband was busy loading the firearms that francine had brought for him she quickly slipped away making a sign to her faithful breton maid francine led the marquis into the adjoining dressing-room at the sight of a number of sheets securely knotted together the young chief could appreciate the alert activity with which the breton girl had done her work as she sought to disappoint the watchfulness of the soldiers i can never get through the marquis said as he made a survey of the narrow embrasure of the round window but the circular opening was just then blocked up by a great dark countenance and the hoarse voice that francine knew so well cried softly quick general those toads of blues are on the move oh one more kiss said a sweet and trembling voice montaron's feet were set on the ladder by which he was to escape but he had not yet extricated himself from the window and he felt himself clasped in a desperate embrace he uttered a cry for he saw that his wife had dressed herself in his clothes and tried to hold her fast but she tore herself hastily from his arms and he was obliged to descend the ladder 
in his hand he kept a scrap of some woven material and a sudden gleam of moonlight showed him that it must be a strip of the waistcoat that he had worn on the previous evening halt fire by platoons hulot's words spoken broke the deep stillness that had something hideous about it and snapped the charm that seemed hitherto to have prevailed over the place and the men in it the sound of a salvo of balls at the base of the tower in the valley bottom followed hard upon the firing of the blues upon the promenade volley succeeded volley without interruption the republicans kept up their fire mercilessly but no sound was uttered by the victims there was a horrible silence between each discharge corentin however suspected some trap for he had heard one of the men whom he had pointed out to the commandant drop from his lofty position at the top of the ladder not one of those animals makes a sound he remarked to hulot our pair of lovers are quite capable of keeping us amused by some sort of trick while they themselves are perhaps escaping in another direction the spy in his eagerness to obtain light on this mystery sent galop chopin's child to find some torches hulot had caught the drift of corentin's suspicions so aptly that the old soldier who was preoccupied with the sounds of an obstinate encounter that was taking place near the guardhouse in st leonard's gate exclaimed true there cannot be two of them and rushed off in that direction we have given him a leaden shower-bath commandant so beaupierre greeted his commandant but he has killed goudin and wounded two more men ah the madman he had broken through three lines of our fellows and would have got away into the open country if it had not been for the sentry at st leonard's gate who spitted him on his bayonet the commandant hurried into the guardhouse on hearing this piece of news and saw a blood-stained body stretched out upon the camp bed where it had just been laid he went up to the man whom he believed to be the marquis raised the hat that covered his face and dropped into a chair i thought so he cried vehemently as he folded his arms sacre tonnerre she had kept him too long the soldiers stood about motionless the commandant's movement had uncoiled a woman's long dark hair the silence was suddenly broken by the sounds of a crowd of armed men corentin came into the guardhouse followed by four men who had made a kind of stretcher of their muskets upon which they were carrying montauran whose legs and arms had been broken by many gunshots they laid the marquis on the camp bed beside his wife he saw her and found strength sufficient to take her hand in a convulsive clasp the dying girl turned her head painfully recognized her husband 
and a sudden spasm shook her that was terrible to see as she murmured in a nearly inaudible voice a day without a morrow god has heard me indeed commandant said the marquis summoning all his strength to speak while he still held marie's hand in his i depend upon your loyalty to send word of my death to my young brother in london write to him and tell him that if he would fain obey my last wishes he will not bear arms against france but he will never forsake the service of the king it shall be done said hulot pressing the hand of the dying man take them to the hospital near by cried corentin hulot grasped the spy by the arm in such a sort that he left the marks of his nails in the flesh as he said to him since your task here is ended be off and take a good look at the face of commandant hulot so that you may never cross his path again unless you have a mind to have his cutlass through your body the old soldier drew his sabre as he spoke there is another of your honest folk who will never make their fortunes said corentin to himself when he was well away from the guardhouse the marquis was still able to thank his enemy by a movement of the head expressing a soldier's esteem for a generous foe in eighteen twenty seven an old man accompanied by his wife was bargaining for cattle in the market of fougeres nobody took any special heed of him though in his time he had killed more than a hundred men no one even reminded him of his nickname of marche a terre the person to whom valuable information concerning the actors in this drama is owing saw the man as he led a cow away there was that look of homely simplicity about him which prompts the remark that is a very honest fellow as for cibot otherwise called piamiche his end has been witnessed already perhaps marcheterre made a vain attempt to rescue his comrade from the scaffold and was present in the market-place of alencon at the terrific riot that occurred during the famous trials of rifauel brion and la chanterie end of section twenty nine end of the shuans by honore de balzac translated by ellen marriage